High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 130 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I'm Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Bagley. Andy, there are two Giants teams in history with exactly 130 home runs. One is the 1960 Giants. Can you name the recent-ish postseason Giants team with exactly 130 home runs. Exactly 130. Well, that's that's kind of small potatoes in today's game. Um, I, I'll say I'll say you know 2012 at the fewest in the big leagues. 2010 was like the last year that they were above league average hitting homers. So I'll go with that. I'll go with 2010. You know, it was 2016. It was 2016. Ooh. We forget that that's, or I do. I forget it's a postseason team just because of uh, how it ended. The second half was a little rough, but it was a weird team. The 2016 team in terms of power, Brandon Belt led the team with 17 home runs. Uh, Buster Posey was second on the team with 14. Uh, Buster Posey might have that by the end of May. So it, it's, <laughs> you know, we forget that 2016 was like a different that was like the pitch the era the pitcher low power uh it changed really quickly you know it really is kind of remarkable to go back and look at those giants lineups and look at today's game and just realize how much the game has changed i mean how how much the trend of you know um launch angle and and, and batting averages being the lowest they've ever been basically uh and, and strikeouts being up and, and home runs and how many how many runs are scoring on home runs it's you know the Giants played a brand of baseball that that uh, really just would not work in today's game in a lot of different respects. Um, you know you wonder how many hits would have been taken away by the shift. You know when they had sort of more of a contact uh, approach. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, I think it's really interesting to see sort of the the macro changes in the game and 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 also to see the way that the game will come back around to. Um, to, to embrace older trends as as new everything old is new again as as, as they say so um, yeah it's uh, it's it today's game I think is is probably has a little less action and is not nearly as compelling and they're trying to change that but um, baseball off, often will find a way to fix itself too now let me ask you a question because I think most people are in, in agreement that if you send Buster Posey back in a time machine to like 1927 he hits 500 and just lays waste to the National League. I mean, they, you know, they're basically, it's a matter of nutrition. It's a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of training. It's, it's all sorts of things like that. But can you put the 2021 Giants in a time machine, send them back to 2016, which is like right over there, and have them lay waste to the league? <laughs> has the game like improved that much in, uh, or not improved, but just uh, the science of the game has it improved that much in five years, do you think? I think in a lot of respects it has, mostly on the pitching side. I mean, what pitchers are doing these days in terms of being able to, you know, shape their stuff and, and really dig down into the data and, and understand how sequencing and, and prioritizing certain pitches uh, will, will increase your, um, 
you know, your odds of, of getting a, a retiring a hitter. I, I, I just think there's so much that's happening on the pitching side, and it's never, I mean, it, you can see it in the numbers. It's never been harder to hit than it is right now, and yet we know these hitters are the most advanced hitters ever. And that's what makes what Buster Posey is doing, speaking of stepping into a time machine, uh, so impressive. I mean, this should be a time when if, if you're, you know, in your mid-30s and you're trying to face that upper-level velocity and, and pitchers pitching backwards and, oh, 3-1 count? All right, I'm going to gear up for a fastball. Whoop, nope, nope, there's a two-seam nastiness out of the zone. Um, it should be really hard for someone like Buster Posey to, to not only, you know, have a career resurgence, but just to, to compete. And, and and he's doing it. He's thriving. I mean, he's got seven home runs. He hit that many home runs in all of 2019, and you can see that he's healthy. And, and the same is true for Evan Longoria and Brandon Crawford and, and Brandon Belt as well between what they did last season and, and what they've been able to carry over into this year. You know, Posey's an interesting case because hindsight is, is twenty twenty, but now it seems like almost obvious that he could always hit the fastball, right? You know, it was never a problem. You put him up against a Roldis Chapman and, you know, he would he would give a competitive at-bat on those fastballs. That was always the book on Posey's, that he could turn around triple-digit fastballs no matter what. So it, that was never the problem with him. And so it, as he aged, even if he gives some of that back, he's still going to be an above-average fastball hitter. And then it was always possible as he aged to maybe have some sort of plate discipline approach where he could uh, uh, manage breaking balls better and do the other things better as he aged. It was just so simple to be like, oh, he's a catcher. He's getting older. He's just going to fall down a well and never come out. And it's and now in retrospect, it's like, well, he could always hit the fastball. So when he loses a tick there, he's still fine. Yeah, I think one thing that really stands out to me, and you just hit on it, was even when Buster was just so physically compromised and you knew he was physically compromised, he would get up there in the ninth inning and the Giants would be down two runs and he'd be facing a Roldis Chapman or Kenley Jansen and he would put up a tremendous at bat and he'd, you know, maybe he couldn't drive the ball, but he'd find a way to, to, you know, flare a single out there or somehow extend an inning. And, uh, and when he would bear down and compete, even against upper level velocity, he would find a way to make it happen. And that told you that, you know, the, the eye hand coordination, the pure hitting ability, the, the bat to ball skills, those never really left him. It was only the ability to drive the baseball that that really left him. And and now we're seeing him drive the baseball again. I mean, not just the way he's able to cover the plate uh, like he used to, uh, you know, using the whole field and, and, and using that whole field, you know, to get the ball past the outfielders, um, you know, the, the, like he used to. But, but also, look at what he's doing in the middle of the strike zone. I mean, he's batting like 556 in the middle of the strike zone. I mean, he's He's barreling balls that he should be barreling and that he was barreling earlier in his career. So that's the biggest difference. Buster Posey, the hitter, never stopped hitting. It's Buster Posey, the ability to drive the baseball um, that that's uh, that's sort of being welcomed back. All right. Well, let's move on to less happy uh, things. And, and we're going to talk about the road trip where that was just completed. The Giants were two and four on the road trip. They outscored the Padres. Uh, they outscored the Rockies. So how much or how little should 
should we freak out about a road trip loss like this where you lose to a very good Padres team, you lose to the Rockies at Coors, which I don't think will ever be unexpected. I don't care how lousy the Rockies are. That just seems like something, a road bump that you're going to have to get used to. Yeah, I missed opportunity. I think, um, you know, it was a road trip where you had to feel pretty okay about the way they came out of San Diego. I mean, you're facing Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove, who's got a no-hitter already this season. So, you know, they're able to get one out of three there. Not so bad. You know, you look at six games in San Diego so far this year, they're three and three. That's fine. No big whoop there. But you got to take two out of three from the Rockies, even though it's Coors Field. And they had they had the second game in the bag. I mean, they had a four-run lead in the ninth inning. Even at Coors Field, your, your odds of winning that game are, are pretty darn pretty darn good. So um, it didn't work out. Bullpen, obviously, an ongoing issue. Um, and, you know, I thought you wrote a lot of really good, uh, made a lot of good points in your piece about what should the Giants do about their bullpen right now. I mean, it's, uh, in a way, um, you know, their, their hands are tied a little bit because of the 40-man roster. You can't just bring up a lot of your alternate site, or, or pardon me, now we can call them AAA pitchers. They're AAA pitchers <laughs> right. because there's AAA again. No more alternate site. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> but yeah, you could bring up uh, uh, Nick Tropiano, but you're going to have to find a way to, to get him on the 40-man. So I don't know necessarily if they have any magic wands, but you know, right now that, that bullpen has remarkably had limited exposure because of how well the rotation is pitched. And yet, you know, there have been enough hiccups here and there that uh, lead you to be a little bit concerned. So I think the two things that they can do is, one, score more runs and just just have fewer leveraged innings that you have to really worry about. And the second thing is they probably have to start moving some people around. I mean, I don't understand why Caleb Barrier is not pitching in more leveraged situations. He's pretty good. So I think that some of those roles may be shifting here as they try to, you know, get some of their leverage guys back uh, into positions where they can, you know, start having dependable outings again. I can make excuses for a lot of different pitchers. Maybe not excuses, but I think Jose Alvarez, I think he will throw more strikes eventually. I do think he's a quality pitcher. Sam Selman looked pretty good in his outing at Coors Field. I think maybe he can pitch in, in maybe higher leverage situations as Zach Littell. Same thing, but if Jake McGee is not that anchor, it's going to be a big, big problem, and his velocity is down, and he has allowed runs, I think, in four of his last five outings, maybe his last five outings. He's not the same guy that he was at the beginning of the season. So how concerned should the Giants be about this? Because um, I'll answer my own question a lot <laughs> well that doesn't leave me anywhere to go because you just answered it. um i strenuously disagree um it is concerning because when you have a pitcher who throws one pitch and that pitch ha- is losing effectiveness you don't really have any place to turn to and that's the downside of you know okay we've got matt whistler whose slider works so let's just throw it as much as 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 possible we have jake mcgee whose fastball has carry through the zone and misses bats and does really nice things on the stat page so let's just have him throw you know tons of fastballs well that works great but it doesn't give you any place to pivot as a pitcher if you start lacking confidence in that pitch and uh and so yeah i think it is a bit concerning because you know, if you are a reliever who's got four pitches, like the guy they just traded, Wandy Peralta, if 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 one of them's not working, you've got three other pitches that you can kind of fall back on. And you know, it's it's uh, it's we know it's not really a grip it and rip it bullpen. It's it's a bullpen that has to execute and and locate and have command. And so when that command is lacking, you know, you're you're not going to get away with. Uh, with with mistakes and and you know the, the same thing is, is probably true for you know I look at Camilo Duvall and and you know yeah he he got basically 
the contact he needed to win that game, and C.J. Crone's blooper fell in that had a hit expectancy of 100 because Steven Duggar is playing way back with his cleats on the warning track because it's Coors Field. But, but you know, why he only threw two fastballs out of 14 pitches and just went slider, 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 slider. I don't get that. I really don't. And And when Gabe Kapler came out after you know, that game. And the first thing he said before he took any questions was, I'm proud of the job that Camilo Duvall did out there. I understand what he's doing. I understand that he's backing up, you know, a young player who probably, you know, uh, is dealing with the mental uh, effects of, of getting walked off in his like, you know, fifth or sixth major league appearance or whatever it was. I understand that you have to do that as a manager, but I don't know how you can sell, hey, I'm really proud of the job that this pitcher did giving up, you know, a walk-off home run. You can't do that. You can't sell that to fans and um, and expect them to be like, oh, yes, I'm proud of him as well. Um, <laughs> so, so I think probably what the message should have been was, hey, you know, I'm the manager. I put this guy in a tough position, but I had confidence in him then. I have confidence in him going forward. Um, but I, I wonder if part of the reason that Gabe Kapler had to kind of, you know, be a little bit over the top there in his praise for a guy who just gave up a walk-off homer was, I wonder if those 12 sliders were really his choice, you know? Um, I, I wonder if, if they told him, look, we want you to pound sliders here. And, and he's like, okay, I'm doing what I'm told to do. But you don't want him stewing and thinking, oh man, you know, screw these guys. I should have thrown my, you know, 99 mile an hour fastball. By the way, I throw 99. They know that, right? I throw 99. Um <laughs> So I wonder if part of this was just keeping him on board with the whole plan because if you're if I'm Camilo Duvall and I'm told to throw 12 sliders and I get walked off, I'm like, to hell with this, guys. I'm going to start ripping my fastball because I throw 98, 99. So I wonder how much of it was, was along those lines. But, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, keeping these guys sort of, you know, feeling like you're putting them in the best position to succeed and, and you're giving them the best information and, and you're, you're putting them in, in – what you're telling them is going to work more often than not uh, is, is probably an important belief system to try to keep intact. And I'll bet you some of that was going on. Yeah, if you're going to uh, draw up the kind of pitch that might struggle at Coors Field, it would be, you know, a breaking ball, uh, a big breaking ball. But especially with Duvall, because the problem with him has never been stuff. It's been repeating his mechanics. And he's got a funky, funky arm slot. And they would, would talk about him when he was in the low minors. And they would say... He, could, he can look like the most dominant pitcher on the face of the earth for an inning, and then he can look like someone who just has no idea what he's doing the next, and that's the last time he pitched professionally. So to put him in Coors Field, uh, you know, he's he's basically never pitched in the upper minors, much less uh, in the major leagues, and to say, okay, just keep ripping that slider off in Coors Field and hope that all of them are as good as you want them to be, that's just a really tough ask for that specific pitcher. It's a tough ask for any young pitcher, but especially someone who has always had this reputation of funkiness and uh, impure mechanics. Uh, I don't know. It, it was bizarre to me as well. I didn't even think about that, about the fact that, you know, this was Coors Field where breaking pitches don't really break the way you think they're going to. So, you know, yeah, when you layer that on top, it, it makes it, 
even more of a head scratcher to me. We brought up Matt Whistler earlier. Uh, you know, he's not making a ton of money. He was signed for one year, 1.15 million. When I wrote my, what are the Giants going to do about the bullpen? I sort of assumed that they wouldn't uh, designate anyone for assignment on the, on the current bullpen. Uh, but at what point, you know, it's only 14 games. It's only 11 in a third inning so far. But at what point do the Giants give up on on him? Because he has one good year out of seven. He has, and that year was uh, 25 innings in a, a freakish mutant pandemic season. Other than that, his track record isn't great. And he does not, it's not like the stats are lying to us. Uh, like our eyes are seeing it. The sliders will hang. And when the batters are expecting a slider, their eyes just light up. You know, um, you make a really good point about Matt Whistler, and here's something that I'm going to just throw out there. Um, it was, I believe, um, May 7th, uh, or, or maybe a couple days before that, uh, when the Giants, in 2019, when the Giants cut Yanger Solarte and uh, Gerardo Parra, they cut the cord real fast on those guys, and they were very much similar to a Matt Whistler in terms of what they were making. Um, and I even think that the Giants were able to save some money because their contracts were not guaranteed by a certain day, which I have to look up the, the, the roster rules on that. Um, but, you know, there was a reason that it happened at that time. Um, so you wonder if, you know, the Giants could decide, hey, look, we're going to need another roster spot. Um, you know, we could save a little money potentially. Um, yeah, you wonder if, if they will be as quick to, you know, hit the jettison button on you know, yeah, someone like Matt Whistler. It's possible, but they signed him pretty early in the offseason. He was clearly, you know, someone that they identified as, as uh, you know, a pitcher who could really shore up their right-handed uh, relief. And so I, I don't know if you quit on a guy after just a couple of outings, but, you know, right now he's he's uh, he, he hasn't been able to kind of put it together. And, you know, he's coming off a, a, a pretty decent low-leverage outing where he pitched an inning and change. Um but yeah, it's it's a uh, it, it's an interesting quandary for them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not advocating for it. I'm not saying you know here's your magic bullet, because if Whistler works, it doesn't just help the 2021 Giants. It doesn't doesn't just fill like an obvious gap that they have uh, in the bullpen for right-handed relief. You know, he's not eligible for ar- or he's I think first time arbitration eligible this year. He can be a low cost bullpen component going forward and that's not nothing like you don't just want to look at these 11 innings and say ah he's cooked he's toast because the innings he pitched last year you know the 25 innings he pitched last year were so transcendent and so filled with bat missing goodness that you want to maybe hold on to that for just a little bit longer I, I do think it's a little bit early for that yeah I mean we're talking about you know where do they turn to next in your bullpen well to just go ahead and and start you know putting a line through different potential options, um, you don't, you want to be able to come back and, and, and get people started and get them going and, and get them to be the versions of themselves that you had anticipated they would be. And I don't think that, you know, Matt Whistler's not out there throwing, you know, you know, six miles an hour slower than he normally does, or physically, I don't think there's any reason why the performance has been off uh, that we can tell anyway. So, you know, if, if you got to coach him up and get him back to being that, that, person that you thought he was going to be, then then it's on them to do that. And I think that that's probably more likely than them, you know, cutting the cord. But uh, but it is an option. It is something that they could at least maybe kick around or discuss. And if you're not going to designate someone for assignment or remove someone from the roster or make some sort of trade, 
The last remaining untested reliever, or at least a relief option on the 40-man roster, is Curvin Castro. He does have a curveball, um, which I just, you got to throw that out there. Yes, Curvin Castro does have a curveball. It's a very, very good one. Uh, so at some point, do the Giants, <clears throat> is, is he the next in line? It seems like he almost has to be, right? Well, if you were a garbage pail kid, he would be Curvin Curvin. <laughs> I mean, clearly he would be. All your best bits start with, if you were a garbage pail kid. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we'll see him. I think we'll probably see him sooner rather than later um, whenever they have a need or whenever it makes sense or whenever they want to add another reliever for a couple days. Um, you know, they've, they've been a little creative with uh, uh, the COVID list and, and people getting vaccines to get guys up for a little extra uh, couple of days here and there. Joey Bart, his first at bat came in the big leagues. No one saw that coming. Um, you know, when when they added him as a third catcher and he he popped up as as a pinch hitter in Coors Field. Um, but yeah, I, I I think that um, I think we will see Curvin probably at some point, just because, like you said, he's on the 40-man roster, so it's a pretty easy move. I uh, was an idiot, and I wrote uh, a puff piece about uh, Duvall when he came up. I was also an idiot and wrote a puff piece about uh, Gregory Santos when he came up, because I'm just so excited to see stuff in the Giants' bullpen. It's You know, it's been a while. Uh, we've had, like, Marez Maranta and Sam Coonrod, but for the most part, that you just don't see stuff in the Giants' bullpen. I will just sort of uh, uh, pump the brakes a little on Kervin Castro. Let me, let me read to you his professional experience so far. In 2016, when he was 17 years old, he uh, pitched 13 games for the Giants in the Dominican Summer League uh, when he was he missed a year. And then in uh, 2018, when he was 19 years old, he pitched one inning for the Giants in the Dominican Summer League. And then when he was 20, he pitched uh, in 14 games for the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes. That is his current professional experience. Uh, in 2021, does that mean anything or... Should we still look at that and go, wait a second, what are we talking about? Is this guy a legitimate option? Yeah, the Salem-Kaiser Volcanoes, which are now in like the Maverick League or Renegade League or mm. some sort of semi-pro league. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he was he was really good. He was the ace of that staff and uh, pitched really well. But these are against, you know, uh, college kids coming out right out of the draft. So um, I, I don't know if we really will have much of an idea uh, you know, what we're going to get until we see him. And, you know, the, the Giants are probably not too far removed from from that same unknown, uh, being in that same unknown position. I mean, they've got alternate site stuff. They've got, um, you know, spring training stuff. They've got, you know, uh, instructional league. And, you know, they, they, they obviously have all of the, the data from his bullpen sessions to know what his spin rate is and what his carry is and, and what his velo is and the shapes of his breaking pitches. I think that there's a lot that they can do to develop pitchers without competition and without box scores. And I think this year we're going to find out, not just with Curvin Castro, but with maybe a lot of other people in you know the low minor leagues or, or people who are getting their first uh, taste of competition that has actual box scores. Um you know, maybe ever in their careers. You know, how fast is an R.J. Dabovich going to move through the system? We don't know. Um, you know, how fast is a is a Caleb Killian going to move through the system? Um, I think we're going to have some surprises along the way, and it's going to be kind of interesting to. to I think it's, there's going to be no more fascinating year than this year to follow the minor leagues, and not just because hey, we missed them and they're back, and we can look at a whole slew of box scores every morning from you know uh, from from Double A AA and Triple A and all these levels. But because there are going to be some people who are going to move real fast and, and 
put themselves in position to be major league contributors probably a lot quicker than we think. If you tell me before the season, hey, we're going to build the bullpen out of Duvall, Santos, and Kervin Castro, you know, I, I will push back on that idea. Uh, of those three, Duvall is the grizzled veteran because he's actually appeared in a game in San Jose. Like that's that's the the upper limits of those guys' experiences. Duvall actually appeared in high A ball. Uh, but at the same time, if you tell me that one of them is going to be a successful major leaguer sooner rather than later in 2021, that would make a ton of sense. It's just a matter of finding which one will will you know take up that mantle. And I think it doesn't hurt to try Kervin Castro. I think they, they have to at this point because he's the only man re- remaining on the 40-man roster they haven't tried. But it would kind of be a minor surprise to me, a little bit of a disappointment, if none of the three could effectively get outs in the major leagues. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, strength in numbers, right? If, if you if one doesn't work out, then you turn somewhere else. So um, what do you think about the, the idea? And, and this is something that I think is very, very easy for fans to immediately grab onto or... or um, you know, grab their pitchfork of choice about <laughs> did did they need to do more in terms of free agent uh, relief pitchers? I mean, we know that they got Matt Whistler, they got uh, Jake McGee. It's not like they didn't do anything, but should they have been more ambitious and either spent more money or gone out and gotten, you know, uh, people who could have been a little bit closer to difference makers? I mean, it's easy to s- sort of say that now where you you've, you've you look at the results uh, and you say, gosh, if only they had blank. At the same time, it's such a, it's such a trap door to, to sign a reliever to a big deal. Like if you're talking about Liam Hendricks, if you're talking about, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other relievers who are on the market this year. It just, it just doesn't like, there's so much expectation built into it and just not a lot of cost certainty there. Um, I, I think obviously Liam Hendricks would have made this team uh, much, much better. At the same time, I, I just, all those contracts just sort of, I don't know, they give me hives. They, they they're squicky. You know, all those contracts they're squicky. Yeah, I'm looking at the list of relievers and and the the guys who got the most money among the relief pitchers. And whoops, there's Trevor Rosenthal making 11 million. Right, that's what I was thinking of. And he got hurt basically. You know, before he rolled out of bed on opening day. So um, you know, that's money the A's are going to more or less flush. And so that that's those are the risks. I mean, they're always the risks. But I'm looking at some of the other guys who got you know multiple millions. And you've got Tommy Conley. Uh, the Dodgers signed him. Blake Trinan, uh, the Dodgers re-signed him. Trevor May, the Mets gave him uh, quite a bit of money. I, 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 I'm not looking at the stats in front of me, but I, I don't know if he's pitching very well to start the year. I think he year. is. I think he yeah, is. Yeah, so you've got you know Darren O'Day. Oh, look, there's our friend Sergio Romo. Got $2.25 million from the A's. Yeah, there weren't a whole lot of relievers that got big-time deals. Oh, there's another one, Kirby Yates. The Blue Jays gave him $5.5 million, although I believe that he, that was an ARB deal, right? And then he got hurt. So yeah, there's, I don't see a whole lot of people on this list where I'm like, yep, that's the answer. If they had gotten Brad Hand, then everything would have worked out. You know, I, I don't think you can say that. But that's exactly the name I was going to bring up because Brad Hand was the one pitcher of this ilk that the Giants could have had without a long-term commitment because the uh, Indians designated him for assignment. Uh, they're playing games in order to save a million dollars or at least try and convince a team to claim him off waivers because they had to decline his option if no one claimed him off waivers. And then no one in baseball claimed him off waivers. His current ERA with the Nationals is 0.00. I'm not sure if that's sustainable, but I do think Brad Hand is a quality, quality reliever. He was available on essentially a one-year deal, I think for $10 million or so. 
so if you picked up that last year of his contract. Would it have fixed everything? No. But every time you get a pitcher like Brad Hand, you push everyone back. Maybe you have Jake McGee as coming in in the seventh inning, eighth inning. Maybe Tyler Rogers isn't pitching uh, three times every day. I don't know. Like that's the one that sticks with me. It's it's hindsight twenty twenty, but Brad Hand not not taking the shot on him. That's the one that bugs me. I mean, there's a reason that every team in baseball, you know, passed on him when they could have, you know, picked him up for free or not right. for free, but but with no strings attached. Um, and I think that if you look under the hood at some of the analytics and and the pitch data, um, you know, the stuff was not uh, quite the same uh, in in twenty. 20. But then again, 2020 was just a weird year. I, I, I don't know if, you know, maybe maybe teams uh, are looking too much into that or maybe it can be it can be overemphasized or underemphasized. I don't know. But um, yeah, I, I, I still think, OK, if 10 million is an overpay for Brad Hand, he's still a good reliever and maybe he won't be worth 10 million. But the Giants have money. I mean, it's not going to crush their <laughs> payroll to have an extra guy. It's it's more about investing in the roster spot than it is the money. I mean, who? I I know I'm being flippant here, but who cares about the money when you're the Giants? I mean, granted, their their revenue was getting you know crushed like everybody else's last year and early on this year, um, and they're still having trouble getting people to come to the ballpark, uh, even uh, to to fill out their you know 20% capacity. But yeah, I just I I kind of feel like. Yeah, it would have made sense to bring on Brad Hand just because he would have been better than anybody else they could have gotten. So you've talked me into it. I was thinking Brad Hand would not be a difference maker, <laughs> but they would be better with him. So why the hell not? I don't know. This is all speculation. Maybe he uh, maybe he gets hurt washing his truck in spring training. Who knows what happens if he's actually on the Giants? Yeah. Speaking uh, but- of trucks, I, I do apologize if you hear some some background music because my neighbor and and I'm not living next to Chainsaw Guy. But I do have I do have guy who works out of his van and often runs a generator in his van and the generator can be loud but the generator is not loud but whatever music he's playing today is loud so I apologize if you hear that yeah I don't hear but can you give me a genre like what are we talking here I'm thinking there's some journey in there I've got my headphones on but it sounds it sounds like basically it sounds like journey to me yeah no I, I I've mentioned it before but chainsaw guy his choice in music incredibly eclectic like it could be Taylor Swift one day it could be cannibal corpse the next uh, and I give I give him credit for that I give him credit for that it's just it's always he's always keeping us guessing also Um, also if we go long enough if we go long enough thursdays here in in sunny and windy millbrae uh thursdays are the day that are the days that the mr softy truck comes by in the afternoon so and that's loud you can hear that one all throughout the house uh the, the the jingle that they play so so let's let's just try to drag this out until the Mr. Softy truck comes. Oh, we had an ice cream truck just blaring around our neighborhood at some point and and both of my kids were at the window like cats, you know, that are indoor cats that just want to get out and chase birds. And (laughs) that ice cream truck never came down our block. Just what it was doing, it was parked like a block away, blaring it directly at our house just to mess with us. It was actually quite funny because I I didn't want to pay for ice cream. So Um, that's probably not the the best (laughs) story to tell. I got one a couple weeks ago and it was like like fun. 575. I'm thinking 575 for it. And I did get the chocolate dip on it, by the way. But I still 575. That's that was a little rich. But I figure, you know what? It's 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 soft serve ice cream that's literally coming to my door. So I will pay for the convenience. Oh, got it. So it's the Mr. Softy where you can dip. Okay, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Now I was thinking the ice cream truck. Do you have like when the ice cream truck comes by or when they when they're doing the the push carts? Is there, do you have a favorite like ice cream? Because I would always get those weird ice creams that were kind of soft but not really like a Tweety Bird with a 
gumball for the eye yeah. uh, pac-man with a gumball for the eye i That's love those I'm a, yeah i'm a sucker for those i was just thinking of of the pac-man one i remember um the flintstones push-ups those those were yes. those were always like those are like 15 cents so you get like two of those um they always had the candies with like the boston baked beans and the and the red hots and and all the lemon heads you know there were just certain candies that were ice cream truck candies that you would never buy anywhere else you wouldn't go and like the store and say i'm getting me some lemon heads but off the ice cream truck yes yes please um the ones that i remember that i loved um i liked the the bomb pops that were red white and blue and it was and 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 the white would tasted kind of like seven up and then the blue was just (laughs) that like weird fruit flavor that you didn't know what it was um and and i like the swirly ones i forget what they were called but they were kind of like orangey and pink swirlies big sticks were they called big sticks i think those were quality too that kind of rings a bell uh just to let the listeners know what kind of idiot i am for about 30 years of my life when i got a flintstone push-up pop or any kind of push-up pop i would try and just like get it out of there by pushing as hard as i can on the stick at the bottom i just like i'm gonna i'm gonna win this time you push up pop and then i saw my daughter when she was like five take it and roll it between her hands to sort of soften up the sides with heat and, and physics and then she gently push it up and i just looked at her going oh boy i'm just gonna ruin her aren't i i'm not fit out for parenting you know all right the, the next generation will improve upon the previous that's how it goes <laughs> All right, this has been episode 130 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back on Monday. We'll talk about what the Giants did. Oh, gosh, it's the Padres again. So we'll talk about how they did at home against the Padres. Lots of great pitching matchups. Thanks for listening. We will see you then. And happy birthday, Willie Mays. Oh, gosh, happy birthday, Willie Mays. I'm trying to do 90 things about Willie Mays that are like 90 different ways to appreciate Willie Mays. In I'm an idiot and I started it too late. And so I have Willie Mays on the brain. Can't believe I forgot that. Happy birthday, Willie Mays.